Greetings, everybody out there in Dreamland. Namaste, salam alaikum. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for tuning in to the broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan broadcast. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan, and I am broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast of the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas, and it is my pride and privilege to be doing so. So thank each and every one of you, listeners new and old, and welcome for a great episode. Today we're going to be talking about the incident, the kind of almost near mythified history now of the man and the legend Dimebag Daryl from his career to his assassination, both as a celebrating His life and achievements as arguably the greatest heavy metal guitarist from Texas of all time. That deserves that praise and that remembrance. As well as the suspicious and mysterious and ultimately unex... Un... Um... Unsolvable, unexplainable circumstances, the very real unsolved mysteries, circumstances surrounding his death, which was brutal, public, and took others with him. For those that do not know, Dimebag Daryl was the lead guitarist of a heavy metal band from Texas known as Pantera. And in 2004, he was murdered in a mass shooting by a deranged fan who had brought a pistol to his concert for reasons that are still unknown while much speculated about still officially unknown but who ended up taking multiple people's lives before he himself was killed by police It was, though, a targeted assassination of Dimebag Daryl. Not a mass shooting at a Dimebag Daryl concert that took Dimebag Daryl's life. He was not an accidental victim. He was the intentional target of this violent murder. On the night of December 8th, 2004... And bringing in some evidence, bringing in some circumstantial data, I hope in this episode to kind of shine some light into the various aspects of it and approach it in the in, uh, as the inspired follower of the program to kill, because we call it discipline of study, the the program to kill narrative being that serial killers, mass shootings, celebrity deaths, uh, particularly assassinations, political assassinations, etc., are all tied to either satanic, overtly, like the Church of Satan, or the Process Church um, movements, or military intelligence 
you know, Department of Defense, uh, national deep state type connections, uh, typically even both, uh, as the forms of like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer having served in the U.S. Army and then gone on to be a um, cannibal serial killer, but then also having overt overtones of the uh, satanic influence in both his ritualistic nature as well as the grim, macabre behavior um, surrounding everything. And then the suspicious, seemingly protection of the local police force, etc., into kind of scrubbing away essential data, losing clues, uh, prolonging the investigation, etc. And now while we may not have those exact obvious clues and circumstances in the Dimebag Daryl assassination, I believe I have made a connection to it that's worth it. That's, that's absolutely validating this line of thought and this inquiry, right? The game is afoot, so let's... Let's begin our hunt for the truth and studying the, the true crime aspects of it. And we give full props to Dave McGowan as well as Lowfield and Love. Lowfield and Love, the YouTube creator as well as website uh, website creator and, and manager of the administrator of his own personal website, which took the Dave McGowan created hypothesis of Program to Kill, as presented in his book, which I have also presented, and a full audio version of it. Um, I am deeply, deeply inspired by that book, um, as well as the his own research and his, the research of others. So, um, definitely it is the new age of true crime and investigating in this direction. So let us get into it. Dimebag Daryl. Daryl Lance Abbott, born August 20th, 1966, and died December 8th, 2004, was best known by his stage name, Dimebag Daryl. He was an American musician, a Texan. He was the guitarist of the heavy metal bands Pantera and Damage Plan, both of which he co-founded alongside his brother, Vinnie Paul. He is considered by many to be one of the greatest metal guitarists of all time. He was born in Ennis, Texas, United States. He died in Columbus, Ohio, USA. He was age 38. Cause of death was murder, gunshot wounds. His resting place is Moore Memorial Gardens in Arlington, Texas. A son of a country music producer, Jerry Abbott. Abbott began playing guitar at age 12. And Pantera released its debut album, Metal Magic, 1983, when he was only 16 years old. Originally a glam metal musician, Abbott went to the stage named Diamond Daryl at the time. Two further albums in the glam style followed in 1984 and 1985, before original vocalist Terry Glaze was replaced by Phil Anselmo in 1986 and Power Metal 1988 was released. The band's major label debut, Cowboys from Hell, which was in 1990, introduced a groove metal sound to which Abbott's guitar playing was central. This sound was refined on Vulgar Display of Power in 1992, and the group's third major label record, Far Beyond Driven, debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 in 1994. Tensions with Pantera induced its output 
or reduce the output after the release of the Great Southern Trend Kill in 1996 and reinventing the steel released in the year 2000 was the band's final studio album before its acrimonious separation in 2003. Abbott subsequently formed Damage Plan with his brother Vinnie Paul and released New Found Power, the band's only album, in 2004. Other works by Abbott included a collaboration with David Allen Coe titled Rebel Meets Rebel in 2006 and numerous guest guitar solos for bands such as Anthrax. While on tour with Damage Plan, Abbott was shot and killed by a deranged fan during a performance at the Al Rosa Villa nightclub in Columbus, Ohio on December 8, 2004. Three others were shot and killed before the perpetrator was killed by a police officer. His early life. Darrell Lance Abbott was born in Ennis, Texas on August 20, 1966, the second son to Caroline and Jerry Abbott, a country music producer. He had an older brother, Vinnie Paul, born 1964. Abbott's parents divorced in 1979 after 17 years of marriage, but his, father, his family life remained happy. The brothers lived with their mother, Caroline, in a ranch-style house in Monterey Street in Arlington. Caroline was supportive of her son's musical endeavors. Their father, Jerry, remained in the area after the divorce, and Daryl would go on bicycle rides to visit him for guitar lessons pretty darned regularly. Abbott took up the guitar when he was 12 years old. His first guitar was Les Paul Hondo, while he received alongside the Pignose Amplifier on his 12th birthday. Influenced by Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Kiss, and Van Halen, he would initially spend time in his room standing in front of the mirror holding the guitar while wearing Ace Frehley-style makeup, though he was unable to play the instrument at the time. Jerry learned Kiss songs on guitar in order to teach Daryl how to play them. Daryl also learned from country musicians who recorded at Jerry's studio, such as Bugs Henderson. Vinny had begun playing the drums before Daryl received his first guitar lesson. Daryl had previously tried to play the drums. Vinny later said, I just got better than him, and I wouldn't let him play them anymore. The Abbott brothers' first jam session consisted of six hours of smoke on the water. They took inspiration from Alex and Eddie Van Halen, and Vinny said in 2016 interview that he and Daryl were inseparable after they began playing music together. At age 14, Abbott entered a guitar contest at the Agora Ballroom in Dallas in which Dean Selinski, founder of Dean Guitars, was one of the judges. Abbott's mother accompanied him to the club because he was not old enough to enter on his own. He won the competition. Zelensky recalled that Abbott blew everyone away. Abbott won many other guitarist contests in the area and was eventually asked not to compete and instead judge the competition so others could win. His career, surprisingly enough, began in glam metal. Pantera was formed in 1981. Vinny was asked to join the band alongside his high school classmates Terry Glaze, Tommy Bradford, and Donnie Hart. Vinny accepted the invitation on the condition that Daryl would also join the band. Glaze later recalled they were unsure about his request as Daryl wasn't very good and two years their junior. He was a little skinny, scrawny dude. But ultimately, they agreed. In 1989, Daryl made the same request when Dave Mustaine asked him to join Megadeth. As Mustaine had already recruited drummer Nick Minza into Megadeth, and would not hire Vinnie Paul, Daryl decided to stay with Pantera and not join Megadeth. By 1982, Hart left the band and was replaced by Glaze on vocals while Rex Brown took Bradford's place as bassist. Abbott originally shared lead guitar with Glaze, but when it came out, he could play like Eruption and Crazy Chain. Abbott adopted the stage name Diamond Daryl in reference to the Kiss song Black Diamond.
Inspired by Kiss, Van Halen, and Judas Priest, Pantera originally had a glam metal style and was image conscious. They wore spandex, makeup, and hairspray when on stage. The band signed to Metal Magic Records and it was created by Jerry Eldon, an alias of Abbott's father, Jerry. Jerry also served as the band's manager and producer during this time. Pantera released its first album, Metal Magic, in 1983 when Abbott was only 16 years old. A review on the November 1983 issue of Texas-based music magazine Buddy said Abbott's solo tended to be asymmetrical in that old theory of musical thought consisting of statements, alien, alternating, and appropriating responses is ignored and replaced by authoritative delivery of the player's own concept of what should happen. Pantera released Projects in the Jungle and I Am the Night in 1984 and 1985, respectively. Both albums followed on in the glam metal style and were comparable to Shout at the Devil era Motley Crue. Although I Am the Night, I had slightly heavier sound than previous releases. Around this time, the Abbott Brothers began listening to bands such as Metallica and Slayer. Daryl was particularly taken by Metallica's Ride the Lightning album released in 1984. Although lead singer Glaze was unhappy with the Abbott Brothers' desire to move towards a heavier sound. He later said that he didn't want to go that heavy. I didn't like it as well as the guitar was the main thing, like the Metallica songs. This conflict along with the contractual disputes led to their departure in 1986. Glaze was replaced by Phil Anselmo in late 1986. This new lineup briefly signed with Gold Mountain Records and released Power Metal 1988 on Metal Magic. Abbott said Gold Mountain wanted to change our style and make us sound like Bon Jovi, which is not quite up our alley. Anselmo did not write any of the lyrics for Power Metal, and the band was still in the process of dissing themselves from glam metal, but the album evidenced a stylistic change. A retrospective, a retrospective review by Bradley Torino said Abbott's speedy riffs were one of the more charming elements of the band's sound at the time. Brown said in a 1988 interview that Daryl has always been chunking those riffs out from the start, but now with Phil in the band, we've got a chance to make those riffs fully happen instead of having some gay singer over the top of them. The development of their sound groove metal was after the release of Power Metal, Pantera formed a relationship with Walter O'Brien and Andy Gold of Concrete Management. As Concrete managed other bands, they were signed to Metal Blade Records. Gold contacted Brian Slagan, a metal band, and asked him to sign Pantera. The $75,000 equivalent to $167,995 in 2022 that was requested for the production of the new album was too much for Slagle, who rejected the offer. The Metal Blade rejection was one of many rejections for the band. Pantera eventually attained a major label deal with Atco Records after Atco's talent scout Mark Ross was impressed by one of the band's live performances. Cowboys from Hell was released on July 24, 1990. The album was produced by Terry Date, Max Norman, who was the original choice for producer, but he opted to produce Lynch Mob's Wicked Sensation instead. Date was hired to produce Cowboys from Hell from a strength of a work with Soundgarden, Metal Church, and Overkill. Also served as producer for Pantera's next three albums. Cowboys from Hell marked the development of what would become Pantera's familiar sound, to which Abbott's guitar playing was central. Self-described as Power Groove, the album became a blueprint defining work for groove metal, a subgenre with the heaviness and intensity of thrash metal but played at a slower tempo. Southern rock elements were incorporated into the sound. 
Pantera's groove is commonly attributed to the Abbott Brothers' fondness for ZZ Top. Cowboys from Hell was a certified gold album in 1993 and went platinum in 1997. Pantera played close to 200 shows supporting Cowboys from Hell as it toured for nearly two years. Aside from breaks to develop a new material, the band spent most of the 1990s touring. Abbott gained a reputation as a wild figure on the road and a heavy drinker. Pantera recorded its second major label in the album in the space of two months. Released on February 25, 1992, Vulgar Display of Power was a refinement of the groove metal sound. The band had sought to create a heavier album than Cowboys from Hell, and Anselmo fully embraced a hardcore-inspired, shouted vocal delivery. Abbott composed most of the riffs and song structure and further attempted to mesh his guitar with Brown's bass to create what Brown later described as one giant tone. Vulgar Display of Power debuted at number 44 on the Billboard 200, and it stayed on the chart for 79 weeks. In 2017, it was ranked at number 10 on Rolling Stone's list of 100 greatest metal albums of all time, with Abbott's serrated rhythms and squealing solos highlighted. Abbott had transformed his appearance by the time Vogel displays a power release to which he would maintain for the rest of his life. He sported a dyed goatee, a razor blade pendant, an homage to Judas Priest British Steel, cargo shorts, and sleeveless shirts. Feeling that Diamond Daryl no longer suited his image or sound, Abbott adopted the stage name Dimebag Daryl instead. The name was originally coined by Anselmo. It was the reference to Abbott's refusal to accept more than a dime bag slain for $10 worth of weed of cannabis at one time, even if offered for free, as he did not want to be caught with the drug on hand and suffer punishments. All of the Pantera's albums until 1994 were recorded at Pentigo Sound, the studio owned by Abbott's brother's father, Jerry. It was conveniently located a short distance from the Abbott's home after Vogel Display of Power was released. Jerry closed Pantigo Sound and opened a new studio named Abtrex in Nashville, Tennessee in hopes to fulfill his dream of becoming a country songwriter. Pantera's third major label album, Far Beyond Driven, was recorded by Abtrex. Abbott said in 1994 Guitar Player Interview, We were fucking flying to Nashville for three weeks at a time, writing songs and cutting them. This led to the members spending most of their downtime in each other's hotel rooms consuming drugs rather than following their normal routines as they did when recording at Pantigo Sound. They mixed the album at Dallas Sound Labs, which was close to their homes, Far Beyond Driven, was released in March 15, 1994, an East-West record. It sold 186 copies in its first week to debut at number one on the Billboard 200 and has since been described as the heaviest album ever to debut at number one on the Billboard 200. Before the release, the band was expected to follow the lead of Metallica's eponymous album by taking a more commercial-friendly approach. Instead, Pantera wanted an even heavier work than vulgar display of power. Abbott said in 1994, We're into topping ourselves. Most bands come out with a heavy record, then it gets lighter and poppier and lighter. You're stuck listening to the first record, wishing and dreaming that ain't what we're about. 
Band Tensions and Separations. The lead singer lead single from Far Beyond Driven, I'm Broken, was inspired by Anselmo's chronic back pain. To treat the pain during the tour supporting Far Beyond Driven, Anselmo began heavily consuming alcohol, painkillers, and ultimately heroin. He would travel on his own tour bus and isolate himself from the other band members until 20 or 30 minutes before they were due to perform. Anselmo recalled in a 2014 interview that he would drink an entire bottle of wild turkey every night before a show to numb the pain. And he often interrupted the performances by ranting on stage. Due to the tensions within the band, recordings for Pantera's next album, The Great Southern Trend Kill, were held separately. Daryl, Vinny, and Brown recorded at Chasing Jason's studio, a studio Daryl had constructed in a barn in his backyard, while Anselmo recorded the vocals at Trent Reznor's Nothing Studios in New Orleans. Abbott experimented with new guitars during the recording. He stated in 1996 that he wrote Suicide Note Part 1, the first time he used a 12-string guitar in his life, which Washbourne guitars had sent him. The recording also saw Abbott draw on riffs he had composed much earlier. He wrote the outro solo to Floods in the pre-Anselmo area, and he had previously recorded a 90-minute loop of it as a lullaby for his girlfriend. On May 7, 1996, Great Southern Trend Kill was released. It peaked at number 4 on the Billboard 200, staying on the chart for 13 straight weeks. It is considered to be Pantera's most extreme work and features some of the band's lowest-tuned tracks. On July 13, Anselmo overdosed on heroin following the band's performance at the Dallas Starplex Amphitheater and was clinically dead for 4 to 5 minutes. He recovered quickly and performed at the band's next show in San Antonio two days afterward, but the incident created a lasting rift within the band. Anselmo had released Nola, the debut album of one of his own side projects known as Down, in 1995 and supported the album with a 13-show tour. The other Pantera members were originally unperturbed by Anselmo's side projects. Abbott explained at the time, Phil's a musical guy and he likes to stay busy. Touring for the Great Southern Trend Kill widened the rift between the band, and the recording sessions for their next album, Reinventing the Steel, were troublesome. Vinny said in an interview after the album's release, it was like pulling teeth to get Anselmo down to the studio. He didn't like any of the material, and it's always just like headbutting contests with him. Also during the recording, Abbott's mother Caroline was diagnosed with lung cancer and died six weeks later on September 12, 1999. This had a profound effect on the brothers, especially Daryl. Reinventing the Steel was released on March 21st, 2000. Abbott said of it, We still play lead guitar. Bands hardly ever play lead guitar anymore. Dude, back in the 70s, if you couldn't play the guitar or sing, you were nobody. Now music is so easy. If all you gotta do is tune your guitar to an open chord and jump around. Like the great Southern Trend Kill, Reinventing the Steel peaked at number 4 on Billboard 200 charts. Pantera were in Ireland set to begin a European tour on September 11, 2001. Due to September 11 attacks, the tour was cancelled and members returned straight to Texas, where they agreed to take a short hiatus. In March 2002, Down was released second record Down 2, A Bustle in Your Hedgerow, and featured Brown on bass. The Abbots believed that the Pantera would soon regroup in 2003, according to their own words. 
But Anselmo recorded a second album with Super Joint Ritual, A Lethal Dose of American Hatred, in 2003. Around this time, Daryl received a phone call from Brown who indicated that he would not return to Pantera and pursue solo projects. The separation of Pantera was marked by the release of the greatest hits album, The Best of Pantera, far beyond the great Southern Cowboy and Vulgar Hits, on September 23, 2003. Daryl's next band, Damage Plan, was formed after dejected from the separation of Mantera. He felt like he had been worked from ripped out from under him, so bitter and resenting. He continued Pantera's without Anselmo would have resulted in a lengthy and expensive legal battle regarding in the ownership of the Pantera brand and name, as well as copyright and residuals. The Abbott brothers decided to form a new band. They recorded demos at Daryl's Backyard Studio in 2003. The name of the band originally was Newfound Power, but they later decided on Damage Plan. Newfound Power instead served as the title of the group's debut album, which was released on February 10, 2004. It did not near the commercial success of Pantera's major label releases, selling 44,000 copies in its first week to debut at number 38 on the Billboard 200, and had sold a modest 160,000 copies by December. This leads up to the 2004 Devastation Across the Nation tour. To rebuild a fan base, the band toured nightclubs, smaller venues across the country. The members had planned to record a follow-up album after recording this tour. This did not materialize due to Abbott's murder at the show in Columbus, Ohio on December 8, 2004. Other projects that he was recording were with David Allen Coe, Rebel Meets Rebel, which has been described as a groundbreaking in that it will please fans of both country and metal music because the music is simultaneously both styles. It's never a fusion. They simply exist together. He also recorded many songs for soundtracks, such as one with Rob Halford for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer soundtrack in 1992. He also recorded a song on a soundtrack in 1996 for the film Supercop. As well as many other projects. And that includes uh, songs from Charlie's Angels, which Pantera themselves were featured in. So Pantera itself has been used in, in many movies. And there's just a huge list, and I'm not going to name them all. His personal life leading up to his murder is where we find our clues to what potentially could have motivated a directed assassination from someone who had the ability to activate one of these satanic super soldier MK Ultra type uh, zombies, you know, to perform this extreme attack. Abbott grew up in the same neighborhood as his longtime partner Rita Haney, whom he met first at the age of eight. They began dating in 1984. The couple never married. Haney said in a 2006 interview, "We didn't believe in the marriage thing. We have someone you don't know tell you it's okay to be with someone you do know." We didn't need the middleman. We had a one-on-one with the man upstairs ourselves. 
1995, Abbott bought a house with Haney in Dalworthington Gardens, Texas, a short distance from his hometown in Arlington. Abbott kept a pet goat on the residence and dyed its goatee like his own. He was remembered by his neighbors as approachable. One neighbor who often walked dogs with Abbott said he was a hick with an attitude, and I say that respectfully. We talk conservative politics. He was a big, big supporter of George Bush. Daryl and Vinny opened the clubhouse, an all-nude strip club in northwest Dallas in 1996. Vinny's original idea was a rock and roll themed golf course with a strip club in the 19th hole. But the construction of a golf course was prohibitively expensive. Under the Abbott Brothers' ownership, the clubhouse was patronized by many artists who toured in the area, such as Black Sabbath, Kiss, and Metallica, as well as NASCAR drivers, professional golfers, and members of the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Stars whose fight song, Puck Off, was written and produced by Pantera. Their relationship with the Dallas Stars team was so close that after the Dallas Stars won the 1999 Stanley Cup Finals, the Abbott brothers hosted a party for the team at Vinny's personal residence. Vinny later stated that the Stanley Cup was dented during the party after Guy Carboneau threw it out of a window into a swimming pool, but missed the pool and hit the edge while intoxicated. The brothers also performed on a float during a city parade during the celebration of the Stars' hockey victory. Right? So, that is the clue I want people to think about in terms of not only is he incredibly successful and almost like destined to be successful in this heavy metal world, which at the time is extremely both influential and profitable, making him a millionaire before the age of 38, highly successful releases of two number one albums on the Billboard 200 charts. This is mainstream success comparable to Beyonce or Michael Jackson or the Eagles or whatever kind of band that you want to see as you know hyper successful mainstream you know contributors to to America and you know the highly received you know successfully received popular uh crowd right regardless of its heavy metal probably the heaviest metal album to ever receive the number one spot right yes there's that but that's not enough to make a fan obsessed and kill. Although it does contribute. What I think happened is that this club, like many people who own clubs, many club owners, etc., and who are murdered early in their lives has something to do with it because of what goes on behind closed doors in the club because of what is who's counting the money under the table in the club because of the guests and the high valued uh reputations that they have and the low class tastes that may be catered to in this club um 
that that has everything to do with the murder. That has everything to do with who called this hit in and who has the power to have executed it with one of these you know sleeper agents the these kind of black awakening type uh satanic pawns demon possessed you know useful idiot triggermen who are going to attack you know Dimebag Daryl in a suicidal you know um suicidal mission uh, you know and and you know not only after assassinating him but die and never never be able to explain themselves etc right and it's because of this not like so he's so he's part of this Dallas higher level society but on a lower class level where it's just the the actual men and women who do the you know the actual you know celebrity type rock and roll athletes NASCAR drivers uh hockey players professional football players no doubt police no doubt you know, people who like that rock and roll, heavy metal, thrill lifestyle, and their own personal habits of heroin, you know, drinking to excess, uh, the fact that it's an all-nude strip club uh, means that there's probably prostitution, uh, most likely prostitution attached to all this, and that's what this is. This is a whorehouse for rich Rock stars and people who want to party with rock stars, you know, like, you know, masculine energy type shit, leather, uh, heavy metal, music, cocaine, lots of hard liquor. And I think because of the 90s, heroin, tons of fucking heroin, as well as, you know, weed, etc. His name is Dimebag Daryl. Um, that all of this was going on in this club. And I believe that when. Pantera broke up when the lead singer broke up with Dimebag Daryl. And Dimebag Daryl started going more conservative with his musical efforts as well as his cultural efforts. Um, There was a created schism that made people panic. And it made people panic probably in the higher drug-dealing world. I've called it the Dixie Mafia the Texarkana drug world. There's mafias and organized crime in the smallest of towns in America, especially in the small towns of Texas, that use these satanic cabals and covens. You don't think exotic. Not everyone lives in a skyscraper in a mansion in a condo with tens of millions of dollars and a gold, you know, black account or whatever. We use a black card. Uh, Not everyone's in the top level of refinement and, like, dandyism, walking around like a fucking vampire. Well, we're talking about real people. We're talking about real salt-of-the-earth people who are parts of Freemasonic circles who have satanically abused children and uh, and MK-Ultra'd them and made them into hitmen, reserved for years of of work all up and down uh, the Mississippi River Delta and the Valley and and all across the Appalachian Mountains and across the Western Territories um, that they can draw on to activate to become these, these, these assassins, right? And this is where the connection lies. The connection lies in celebrity. The connection lies in professional athletes. The connection lies in professional musicians like Metallica or Kiss or Black Sabbath, you know, and them going to this strip club, which is a whorehouse, which is owned and catered to by Pantera from Dimebag Daryl, until he stops wanting to do it. 
Because what it sounds like is that he actually had kind of a change and a breakup, not only of the band, but of his own former life in which what what he didn't like was heroin. What he didn't like was drugs. He seems to be critical of drug use and heroin use, especially to the point where it destroyed the band Pantera that he had seemed to have worked his entire life to create. So he could have been seen as a potential weak link, a narc, or someone who would go state's informant. And if you're dealing with, say, hundreds of thousands to up to low millions in heroin sales and combined drug sales and prostitution, these are tons of felonies. These are hundreds of felonies that can be all levied against you. You have to eat the paranoia is what I'm saying. So if you're in this operation... He's not. He's not paranoid. He's a useful idiot. They used his money. They used the fact that he wanted to see, you know, some bush and some titties and get a dick sucked or two, you know, uh, and, and be able to drink himself into unconsciousness with, like, NFL players from the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Stars and stuff. You know, party like a rock star. They used that to create this situation, to create the club, to create the environment where they could safely move heroin into Dallas, outside of Dallas, sell it on a more wholesale market. And those people, those investors, those people who gave the good word to the Dallas Cowboys, who gave the word to the Dallas Stars, who had these two people who were so in the mainstream system that they were in number one billboard charting albums, vetted and approved to be a part of this Illuminati insider satanic cabal game. And when it all started to go south, they pulled the plug and they ordered a hit on Dimebag Daryl to send him, probably intentionally trying to kill his brother as well, to kill both Dimebag and Vinnie Paul. But only coming up with Dimebag before being stopped. And if you actually watch the video of the shooting, directly attacks Dimebag Daryl kills him with number of gunshots, but is almost immediately grabbed and wrestled to the ground by a bodyguard, a roadie, until people basically surround him and he has to take a hostage, uh, reload his weapon, and at that point he's shot in the face by a police officer with a shotgun from behind. That is, uh, or from the side, but he comes up from behind. And that is all within the span of five minutes. I believe the original targets were Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Paul, uh, but he only was able to kill Dimebag Daryl, or else we would be talking about the assassination of both Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Paul, or if fate had had it, just the assassination of Vinnie Paul. But this was to send a message to keep your fucking mouth shut, or, and we'll keep it shut for you if we don't trust that you will keep it shut. Because if you're talking about conservative politics... You know, maybe finding God, maybe becoming a born-again Christian, maybe getting back with your country roots, etc., etc., then you're going to use that as a, as a point of consciousness to talk about, you know, the shit we get up to, the prostitution, the pedophilia. The, you know, the drug addiction, the drug, the drug peddling, the drug pushing, heroin, uh, cocaine, etc. That's not fucking in line with conservative or country values, you know, family first type values, George Bush fan club type values. And the clues in this article and the whole biography start adding up. 
that this person was at once able to embedded in high enough society to be able to literally party with fucking the Dallas Stars hockey championship team without bodyguards or police, you know, like without, without actual people being like, Hey, where's this professional fucking sports team going? That's a championship level. Not like we have staff, not like we have agents, not like you have to take photos and be in interviews and we can't let, you know, we have a public image. It's think about it. That kind of level shit's fucking nuts. Like that's just to say that out loud, like, you know, that means that they're connected. Metallica, Kiss, um, those bands are Illuminati bands. Those bands are connected to, you know, higher satanic societies, etc. Black Sabbath. Those bands are going to your club to get prostitutes, to hang out, to drink, to do drugs, to buy drugs, um, you know, or to sell them with, to you. And you're hanging out with them to provide them the safe spot, basically to, save, to provide them that rock and roll rock star experience. These guys were acting as pimps. These guys were acting as pushers, and they may have just owned the bar and wanted to party at it, but that's they were being those people who were their managers who were working at this facility definitely know that they were doing that. And I think it's pretty obvious. But let's get into the murder. Let's get into the murder. The actual murder itself. On December 8, 2004, four people were murdered and three others were wounded in a mass shooting at the Al Rose Villa nightclub in Columbus, Ohio, United States. The main target of the attack was Dimebag Daryl Abbott, who was on stage performing on his band Damage Plan at the time of the shooting. Three minutes after the opening fire, the perpetrator, 25-year-old Nathan Gale, was shot and killed by police officer James Niggemeyer. It happened on 5,555 Sinclair Road in Columbus, Ohio, United States. December 8th, 2004, 18 years ago, at approximately 10.20 p.m. The weapon used was a Beretta 92FS semi-automatic pistol. The number of deaths were five, including the perpetrator. There were three additional injured. The motive is inconclusive. Possible persecutory delusions caused by paranoid schizophrenia. Abbott sustained multiple gunshot wounds to the head and was pronounced dead at the scene. The other fatalities were Jeffrey Mayhem Thompson, Gamage Plan's head of security who tackled Gale, Aaron Hawk, an El Rosa employee who, trained to, who tried to restrain Gale, and Damage Plan fan Nathan Bray who had jumped onto the stage to aid Abbott and Thompson in their struggle. Damage Plan's tour manager Chris Palukska and drum technician John Brooks suffered non-fatal gunshot wounds and were taken to Riverside Methodist Hospital while road crew member Travis Burnett was treated at the scene. The motive for the shooting is still unknown. Gale, a former member of the United States Marine Corps, had told his mother and employer that he had been discharged due to paranoid schizophrenia and many of his friends observed erratic behavior from Gale in the months leading up to the shooting. Some news outlets claim that Gale was angry with Abbott for the dissolution of the previous band, Pantera, while others believe that Gale was operating under the delusion that Pantera had plagiarized his lyrics and were attempting to steal his identity. A number of heavy metal artists released tributes to Abbott after his death, while others pushed for increased security at concerts to prevent another such incident. Negemeyer was valorized by his actions, but retired from the police department in 2011 with post-traumatic stress disorder. 
Abbott's brother and Pantera drummer Vinnie Paul resented singer Phil Anselmo for his perceived role in influencing the shooter and remained distant from the other members of the band until his death in 2018. Before that, on April 8, 2004, a Pantera fan named Nathan Gale interrupted a damage plan performance at Bogart's nightclub in Cincinnati, Ohio, jumping onto the stage and causing roughly $1,800 of estimated damage to lighting and other stage equipment during an ensuing police struggle. While officers responded to a 911 call about the incident noted Gale's actions as criminal endangerment and destruction of property, Damage Plan elected not to press charges as they did not want to return to Cincinnati for court proceedings. The band was unfazed by the incident. An attendee later stated that after Gale had been removed from the venue, Lockman had joked, I'd like to introduce you to the fifth member of the fucking band. The Shooting on December 8, 2004, later that year, Damage Plan was headlining a concert at the Alarosa Villa nightclubs in Columbus, Ohio. The venue had a capacity of 600 people and had sold 250 tickets for the evening's show. Club manager Rick Catula and other concertgoers noticed Gale loitering in the parking lot during the opening acts, volume dealer and 12-gauge, and asked why he was outside. To which he responded, I don't want to see no shitty local bands. I'm going to wait for Damage Plan. By the time that Damage Plan took the stage at 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time, the crowd had grown to approximately 400 people. Gale entered the premise by scaling a six-foot wooden fence on the north side of the venue and entering through a patio door. At 10.20 p.m., partway in the opening song of Damage Plan set, Gale, dressed in a Columbus Blue Jackets hockey jersey and a hooded sweatshirt, jumped onto the stage and drew his Beretta 92FS 9mm semi-automatic pistol. He moved directly towards Abbott and shot him four times at point-blank range, in the right cheek, the left ear, the back of the head, and the right hand. Joe Demeron, the bassist for Volume Dealer, said that Gale shouted something but did not know what. Some attendees did not realize that a shouting had taken place with security guard Ryan Melkor stating people were pumping their fists, thinking it was a hoax. After shooting Abbott, Gale began firing on other attendees, beginning with tour manager Chris Poluska, who was shot once in the chest before Damage Plan Security Chief Jeffrey Mayhem Thompson tackled Gale from behind. Thompson was fatally shot in the chest, back, and upper thigh in the ensuing struggle. Nathan Bray, a Damage Plan fan, leapt onto the stage and was fatally shot in the chest while attempting to resuscitate Abbott and Thompson. Aaron Stoney Hawk, an El Rosa Villa employee and former Marine who had either assisted Thompson or had charged Gale while he was reloading, was mortally wounded by six shots that landed four in the chest, one in his hand, and one in his leg. Travis Burnett, a member of Volume Dealer's road crew, attempted to disarm Gale and was grazed by a bullet on his left forearm. Burnett fled the scene when subsequent gunshots were aimed at his head. Drum technician John Cat Brooks attempted to subdue Gale. He was shot twice in the leg and was taken as a hostage. 
Responding within three minutes to a 911 dispatch call, Officer James Nigemeyer of the Columbus Division of Police, CPD, entered the club through a backstage door and shot Gale once in the face with a 12-gauge Remington Model 870 shotgun, killing him instantly. At the time of his death, Gale had a full magazine in his Beretta and another 30 rounds of ammunition on his person. Fans removed Abbott from the stage and attempted cardiopulmonary resuscitation until paramedics arrived at the scene, where Abbott was pronounced dead. He was 38 years old. Thompson, 40, and Hawk, 29, were also pronounced dead at the scene, while Bray, age 23, was transported to the Riverside Methodist Hospital and was declared dead at 11.10 p.m. Paluski and Brooks were ultimately transported to Riverside, where they ultimately survived and recovered from their injuries. Burnett received treatment at the scene and declined transport to the hospital. The perpetrator, Nathan Mayles Gale, was born on September 11, 1979 in Chicago, Illinois. The youngest of three sons to Gerald and Mary Gale, he spent the first few years of his life in the Chicago suburb of Lansing until his parents divorced. He then moved with his mother to Marysville, Ohio, while his two brothers stayed with their father. Gale initially attended Benjamin Logan High School where he briefly wrestled but transferred to Marysville High partway through his junior year. He enrolled in a vocational program at the Ohio High Point Career Center where he studied construction and electrical work graduating in 1998. Gale lived with his mother after graduation working a variety of minimum wage jobs and developing a problem with substance abuse. He often complained of being watched with his mother attributed to his drug use. When a violent confrontation with his mother led to police intervention, Gale was thrown out of the house and became homeless. He supported himself through panhandling and petty theft until he agreed to enter a drug rehabilitation program, after which his mother allowed him to return home. Gale's encounters with law enforcement at this time were minor, with some trespassing charges from skateboarding as well as one instance where he was accused of stealing from work. In February 2002, inspired by the September 11th attacks, Gale enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, the USMC. Proud of his military service, Gale's mother purchased the Beretta pistol as a Christmas present after he completed basic training. Gale was stationed at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina with the 2nd Marine Division until he was discharged in November 2003, less than halfway through a typical four-year enlistment period. A USMC spokeswoman declined to explain the reason behind Gale's military discharge. Gale told his mother that he had been discharged due to being diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Although he had returned with medication, he declined additional treatment after returning home. The Department of Veteran Affairs found Gale a job as a mechanic, and he informed his employer, Rich Sincula, of his condition. An autopsy performed by Franklin County's coroner's office found no trace of drugs in Gale's system, prescription, or otherwise. While standing 6 foot 3 inches and weighing over 250 pounds, Gale decided to take up boxing and football after his military discharge. He joined the Lima Thunder, a semi-professional football team in northwest Ohio, as an offensive lineman and would listen to Pantera before games. Gale, a lifelong fan of heavy metal, became obsessed with Pantera while he was in high school and remained fixated on the band even after their 2003 separation. Gale's former friend Dave Johnson told reporters that Gale had shown up at a mutual friend's house with Pantera lyrics that he claimed were his own, asserting that Pantera had plagiarized the lyrics and were attempting to steal his identity and their aesthetic. Many of Gale's friends began to distance themselves from him as his behavior became increasingly erratic. Once he told his friend Mark Brake that God was asking him to kill Marilyn Manson. 
Others noted that he would talk and laugh to himself, would pretend to hold an imaginary dog, and that he would bother patrons at the tart. Of the tattoo parlor across the street from his apartment, staring at clients and engaging them in conversations about heavy metal music. Gale's uh, neighbors remembered him as quiet and aloof. He had been stopped multiple times for traffic citations and had been charged with criminal trespassing for both skateboarding and sleeping outside. At the time of the shooting, Gale lived alone in the apartment above an abandoned storefront. After the shooting, police officers found two handwritten notes inside his apartment. One read, You'll see, come alive, You'll, I'll take your life and make it mine. This is my life, I'm gone, get me. The other read, You'll see the sky fall, I'll make pigs fly, Come on and give me some, come on, give me some, Do it and die, do it and die. Aftermath after the shooting, it was speculated that Gale had been motivated by Pantera's disbandment with initial reports claiming that he had shouted, You broke up Pantera, or this is for breaking up Pantera, before opening fire on uh, Abbott. Statements never corroborated by witnesses. Others cited a Metal Hammer interview with Anselmo, who had published shortly before the shooting, where Anselmo said that Dimebag Daryl deserves to be beaten severely. Investigators found no evidence that Gale had been motivated either by Pantera's split or by the dispute between Abbott and Anselmo, and were unable to find evidence that Gale had read the interview. The fact that the shooting occurred exactly 24 years after the murder of John Lennon was also deemed purely coincidental. That's right. The fact that the shooting occurred exactly 24 years after the murder of John Lennon was also deemed entirely coincidental. After listening to the recording of Metal Hammer interview, Vinnie Paul concluded that Anselmo had not been joking about the beaten severely comments, and from that point he declined to speak with Anselmo or Pantera bassist Rex Brown again. Although plans for Pantera reunion tour had been discussed with Zach Wilde filling in for Dimebag Daryl, the rift with Vinny remained until his death in 2018. Niggermeyer, the on-duty police officer who had engaged in deadly force, was brought before a grand jury as standard procedure to determine if there had been any wrongdoing. At no point did Prosecutor Ron O'Brien expect Niggermeyer to be charged and he was cleared of wrongdoing. On May 23, 2004, Niggermeyer received a number of rewards for his actions during the shooting, he was a finalist for Bravery Award by America's Most Wanted. He was given the Distinguished Law Enforcement Valor Award, the Ohio Attorney General Jim Petro, and was named by Law Enforcement Officer of the Year in 2005 by the National Rifle Association. Gale's mother referred to Negermeyer as a hero and told reporters, I give that man credit. You'll never know how many lives he saved. Niggermeyer remained a first responder for three years before becoming a robbery detective on the advice of his doctors who had diagnosed him with post-traumatic stress disorder and severe anxiety disorder. He left the CBD in 2011 entirely to take a different job within the city, and as of 2014 remained friends with both Katula and the Hawks brother Andy. The shooting raised concerns of the music community over the concert security and the prevalence of fans leaping onto the stage. Anthrax guitarist Scott Ian publicly said it changed his view of stage rushers and that I don't give a fuck how much your fun you're having, please stay the fuck off my stage. 
Immediately after the shooting, many concert viewers tightened their security standards by hiring off-duty police officers as guards, checking attendees' pockets and bags more thoroughly, and in some cases studying set lists to anticipate when fans may become troublesome. The Al Rosa Villa nightclub was listed for sale in late 2019. Following the death of its founders, Alan Rosa Catula, their children continued operating the venue until 2020, forcing it to close entirely. It has been demolished and is being renovated and being recreated for make housing projects. As of 2021, it is completely demolished. Now, that is the Columbus night shooting. When we come back, we will talk about the um, killer and the associations that have been made between him and the program to kill suspicion of him being this kind of, um, you know, brainwashed, targeted individual that was harassed into doing this uh, by much larger forces at play. First, we'll read a news article that was published on CBS News titled Inside the Mind of a Killer. A man who shot former Pantera guitarist Dimebag Daryl Abbott and three other men to death at a nightclub was obsessed with the popular heavy metal band and made bizarre accusations against it. This is written in 2016, 12 years after the shooting. The man was shot. Former Pantera guitarist Dimebag Daryl Abbott and three other men to death at a nightclub was obsessed with the popular heavy metal band and made bizarre accusations against it, one time friend said in reports published Friday. Jeremy Bray said gunman Nathan Gale once showed up to a friend's house saying he wanted to share songs he had written. The pages of lyrics were copied from Pantera, but Gale claimed he had written them. Bray said he was off his rocker. Bray told the Columbus Dispatch he said they were his songs, that Pantera stole them from him, and that he was going to sue them. He later told Bray that he had planned to sue Pantera for stealing his identity, too. Bray and friend Dave Johnson said Gale's behavior frightened them, and they distanced themselves from him several years ago. But other friends said they had never considered Gale capable of violence. On Wednesday night, the 25-year-old former Marine charged the stage up at a show at Abbott's new band, Damage Plant, and gunned down four people, including Abbott, before a policeman fatally shot them. Police said Friday... They still didn't know Gale's motive and that they would never find out. Some witnesses said Gale had accusations that revered guitarist broken up Pantera, but police had not verified those reports. An imposing figure standing at six foot three, Gale made people uneasy even at the tattoo parlor, staring and locking them into conversations about heavy metal music. When he played offensive line for the semi-pro Lima Thunder football team, he psyched himself up before games by piping Pantera into his headphones, coach Mark Green said. But Green had not pegged Gale as the type to go on a shooting rampage. It wasn't like he was a loner, Green said. Gale had minor run-ins with police since 1997, but he wasn't considered a troublemaker, according to police in his hometown of Marysville, 25 miles northwest of Columbus, Ohio. Abbott, 38, left Pantera with his brother, drummer Vinnie Paul Abbott, to form the band Damage Plan, which had just began its first song at the club Al Rosa Villa on the Wednesday night when Gale dodged two band members, grabbed Daryl Abbott, and shot him at least five times in the head. 
He grabbed Dimebag with one hand and shot him with the other, said Kevin Minard, among the 500 people packed into the smoke-filled nightclub to see Abbott's new band. In less than five minutes, Gale had shot three others, including Aaron Hulk, 29, a club employee who loaded band equipment, fan Nathan Bray, 23, of nearby Grove City, and Jeff Thompson, 40, of bodyguard for the band. I watched the one guy go down. I jumped on stage, started giving the other guy CPR. William Weaver, who was in the audience, told CBS correspondent Cynthia Bowers. Two people employed by the band, Chris Paluska and John Brooks, were in a Riverside hospital on Friday morning with Paluska listed in good condition and Brooks in serious condition. Gale had served with the 2nd Marine Division at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina until November in 2003. When he was discharged with less than half of the typical four-year stunt, Marine spokesperson, Marine spokeswoman Gunnery Sergeant Kristen Scarberg said she declined to explain the discharge, citing privacy rules. A few hours before the shooting, Gale had showed up at Marysville Bears Den Tattoo Studio, where often he stared at people and forced them into conversations, manager Lucas Bender said. He comes in here and likes to hang out when he's not wanted, Bender said, the most pointless conversations. On Wednesday, he asked about having the studio order tattoo equipment for him. Tattoo artist Bo Tyler said. Toller told him no, and Gale got angry and started yelling, he said. They asked him to leave. Last night was actually the first time I noticed that he had a temper. No one answered the door Thursday at the Marysville home of Gale's mother, Mary Clark. A message left on her phone was not returned. A teammate, James Patterson, 31, said that he had last spoke with Gale in October, who was laying sod for a landscaping company in Marysville, where Gale kept an apartment. I'm just stunned, Patterson said. I can't even describe how he could have done something like this. Gale had red-cut hair very close and often wore a winter hat and was always wearing a Columbus Blue Jackets hockey jersey, said Mandy Dillinger, who works at a cell phone store at the same block where Gale lives. Police said Gale was wearing the jersey during the shooting. Dillinger said she used to say hello to Gale, but they never had a conversation. He seemed like a nice guy to me. He just seemed shy, Dillinger said. Gale ate two or three times a week at a Maggie's restaurant across an alley from his apartment. Waitress Emma Walden said he would stay to chat after eating and seemed a little lonely. There was something odd about him. Not like he would be dangerous to you, just something about him that wasn't right, she said. Gale mentioned he was in the Marines, but wouldn't talk specifics. Walden said messages left with several military public affairs offices trying to confirm the service were not immediately returned. No one answered the door Thursday at the time at the Marysville home of Gail's mother, Mary Clark. Despite a drizzle and temperatures in the 40s, more than 200 people turned up for a vigil Thursday night in club's parking lot. And that was published in 2004, republished in 2016. So now using that as kind of what the message they were going for, the inconsistencies, the contradictions, etc., you see that it's almost a prime candidate on the face of it for what we now know are these mass shooters, these, these unfortunate patsies that are targeted, that are harassed, that are singled out, victimized, and then brainwashed to do this shit, or you know, V2K, Voice of Skull type harassed to do this shit by members of the higher three-letter alphabet agencies. This individual posted this on UltimateGuitar.com forums 
after the incident that occurred. The post has last been edited on April 9, 2018 at 6.26 p.m. I'm a targeted individual or a person who has been trafficked by the government and in mind control programs resembling the CIA's Project Monarch. Through the course of stalking me, the government took credit for a number of murders. I have proof the FBI conspired with my school, Kent State University, to kill one of their own football players. They say the death was a homicide through innuendo. I later linked the death of the football player to Dimebag Daryl's murder. If you notice, Dimebag Daryl was born on 8-20th, 1966. The birthday is significant. 1966 is the year the Church of Satan was founded. It also refers to the infamous 666, the number of the beast Satan. The day 820 has a corresponding mathematical principle known as the 80-20 rule, or the Pareto Theorem, according to which 80% of any given effect is due to 20% of its causes. Dimebag's killer, Nathan Gale, has a significant birthday, for his birthday is 9-11-79. This is a reference to 9-11, the largest terrorist attack in American history. Of course, many have alleged our government is behind 9-11, and Gale's birthday suggests that the government may be taking credit for 9-11 too. It is in the public interest that we as American citizens know our truth. Our government is murdering its own citizens. This is just a small bit of my evidence, more evidence supporting Dimebag Darrell's death, and as a U.S. government mind-control-induced homicide is located here. And when we follow the link, we get this blog, which is more of the same, more elaboration on it. And which he talks about the MK Ultra program going on in Kent State with the professional football players from the college to professionals, uh, homosexual professors, for example, in this in this uh, page, I rejected the sexual advances of a closet homosexual professor. I'm fully straight and was retaliated against viciously to protect the institution from litigation. The police, as the criminal protection racket for large social institutions, seized me and began torturing me to give me an extended shakedown for rejecting the professor. It was until the year 2012 and onward I was stalked viciously by the U.S. government and mass media and in the community at large. You know, he keeps going on to say that. The entire socio-economic and political apparatus in the United States in reality best reflects the Hobbesian notion of the Leviathan, or an all-powerful centralized authority with near-universal control over everything that happens in society. I have, for instance, evidence suggesting that our government controls the media, now acting as a community policing program and soon-to-be community credit or social credit, and has actively determined the very unfolding of history itself through the strategic manipulation of events, including major terrorist attacks, in order to push the national agenda forward. He goes on to make a lot of um, connections. In this blog, it's not very, you know, it's not like 100% streamlined and easy to navigate. But he goes on to make connections between the NFL and Satanism, Kent State University and electronic research into psychology, as well as uh, how that connects to Dimebag Daryl. talking about how the Church of Satan produces Manchurian candidates and has human sacrifices with members of the Church of Satan, especially those um, 
you know, in the sports and in music entertainment industry and how it goes back into uh, the invasions of Cambodia and stuff like that with the CIA. But yeah, absolutely uh, worth a read. This is the individual 21, the individual 21. And like this blog is last updated in 2018. So that was five years ago. But it looks like there's a lot of information in regards to that. Now we'll read this. The assassinations of John Lennon and Dimebag Daryl. Remember we said that it was the exact same day. You know, so many years apart. And that that was completely a coincidence. As reported on by the mainstream news almost immediately afterwards. As if though to silence anyone who would claim the connection. The assassinations of John Lennon and Dimebag Daryl. Today is the day that both John Lennon and Dimebag Daryl Abbott were shot. It is my strong opinion that they were both killed by programmed assassins. If this seems ridiculous to you, Google MKUltra and know this since the end of World War II, the U.S. and Russia have both been in a race to master the mind of an individual. Both countries picked up where Nazi Germany and Japan left off. The reasoning I hypothesize that CIA killed John Lennon is because he was a major threat to their military-industrial complex, which is still very much in control of the U.S.'s foreign policy today. Bottom line, war equals money, a lot of money, and the military-industrial complex that has hijacked the USA after World War II is bigger than the president. Military-industry murder equals arms sales equals genocide equals huge amounts of money. Any questions? Even though John Lennon was killed by Mark David Chapman, the CIA programmed Mark David Chapman to kill John Lennon because he was definitely a threat to this relentlessly never-ending wartime paradigm that ceases to end. Eisenhower tried to warn us of the military-industrial complex on the final speech as president, and we would be wise to listen now. I don't know why they, whoever the hell they are, killed Dimebag Daryl specifically as he was just a guitar virtuoso who didn't seem to be outspoken about anything that would piss the government off, but maybe it was an occult ritual sacrifice. Note Dimebag Daryl was shot with a 33 caliber firearm and the place that he played with the band Damage Plan had checkerboard flooring in the lobby, so some pervasive Masonic symbolism already. Phil Anselmo, the vocalist for the band Pantera, before the disbanded former two other groups, Superjoint Ritual and Down, listened to the song Destruction of a Person by Superjoint Ritual. Sound like he's referring to Dimebag, maybe? It does me. Even check out some of the different Down song names. A lot of Masonic symbolism all over the track listing alone. Songs like Pillars of Eternity, Palamid, Dog Tired, and Three Sons, One Star should be evident enough to anyone who knows anything about masonry. So was Dimebag just an occult ritual sacrifice? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. John Lennon's death really bothers me, not so much that I miss him since he did die years before I was born, but the idea behind it makes me sad. Here we have a man who was determined to do everything in his celebrity status that he can to bring about world peace really trying every idea that he had to drill it into people's heads. War is over, if you want it, or all we are saying is give peace a chance. These are the people we kill. Meanwhile, the warmongers in our human civilizations don't even get imprisoned or impeached. It's just like Bill Hicks said. It's like demons run amok. 
it really makes me doubt the whole premise of karma, Gandhi, JFK, RFK, Martin Luther King, Jesus, John Lennon, Malcolm X, all people trying to change the world for the better, and they all get killed, while Stalin, Mao, Bush Jr., Bush Sr., Hitler, and no, I highly doubt Hitler died at the end of World War II, believe what you will, they all live to be old men. It really doesn't sit right with me, and with this in mind, karma seems like bullshit. Reminds me of an immortal technique lyric. I don't give a fuck about karma because if it ever comes to those who benefit from misery, ain't no what, I'll reduce shit to me. The reason Dimebag's death bothers me is the waste of talent. Whenever I want, try to learn a Dimebag solo, I know that I am not worthy, I am not worthy. Wayne's world voice. He was truly an amazing guitarist and got me into pinch harmonics with that riff in Cemetery Gates and making the guitar squeal with my own playing via whammy bar or harmonics and after watching Pantera home videos, vulgar videos, and Dime Vision, I find it hard to fathom why anyone would want to kill not just an amazing guitarist but such a down-to-earth, funny, and chillin' guy who I would have loved to go drinking with. Then, thinking about the checkerboard floor in the lobby and where he was shot, the weapon being a 33 caliber pistol, the reason damage plan even forming was because of a Alpha and Phil Anselmo not communicating with the guys from Pantera at all after the 2001's tour early in the aftermath of 9-11, and B, Zach Wilde calling Dime Bag and telling him to start a group with some other musicians, it really makes me wonder how sick the music industry of any genre really is behind the scenes. It seems like so many young artists die unexpectedly, and I can only speculate that's happening behind the scenes and sounds like a conspiracy nut while doing so. But Dimebag's death really doesn't add up. Both Dimebag and Lennon were killed by fans devastated by the breakup of their corresponding bands. The more I investigate their deaths, the idea of them being assassinated with programmed assassins seems plausible. Maybe I'm just looking for any answer I can find to why the good die young. Dimebag brought a whole new dimension to the heavy metal genre, and to this day, Pantera is still one of my favorite bands, and Dime one of my favorite guitarists. John Lennon brought the idea of peace being unattainable, and although he was very much a dreamer, he's not the only one. His idea of peace being possible remains our collective consciousness, and I hope what he started will resonate and inspire a future where millions of children no longer die for money and resources. Rest in peace, John Lennon, and rest in peace, Daryl Abbott. You won't be forgotten. And that includes, you can make up your own conclusions, you can make up your own, um, what your own beliefs are, you can make up your own answers. In in form of connection, uh, if you do, please leave them in the comments. Please, uh, you know, tell me what you think. You know, in the comments of this, share this video to those who are Dimebag Daryl fans, who are, uh, you know, Texas musicians, uh, music lovers who want to know about macabre history, about the significant uh, nature, as well as anyone who already knows about Program to Kill, and hopefully they can listen to it add some of their own insight, make some connections of their own, and we can maybe come up with a clearer concept as to why Dimebag Daryl was targeted by a, an assassin, this MK Ultra type uh, killer who, like in the very nature, killed John Lennon, you know, on the anniversary of this, what the significance of any of the numerology is, including his birth date or the date of his death, um, what 
secret societies he could have been a part of. Um, Satanists are, you know, if, if Phil Anselmo was a Freemason, was this a Freemasonic sacrifice to continue Phil Anselmo's career? Um, as, or maybe punishment by those that were invested in making money on the basically super successful, you know, almost mythically successful uh, heavy metal band of Pantera, thinking that they could take advantage of these dumb Texans um, and and make millions off of them, you know, and exploit them. But Or maybe it was because they were connected to the deep underground mafia world of organized crime, providing prostitution and drugs via the club, the clubhouse that Dimebag Daryl had uh, built and owned and managed and had already built such a strong reputation with the elite professional athletes and, you know, rock stars that came through Texas, including the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Stars, Metallica, Kiss, and Black Sabbath, just those names mentioned specifically. But we know hundreds of others, no doubt. Or maybe someone behind the scenes that were pulling the strings for these operations getting pissed that he was walking away from them and taking his influence and his protection with it. You know, taking the money, basically, which they could make on him if he was dead. And remember, they they will kill you if they can continue making money when you're dead. (laughs) Because they don't need you alive to take them to court once you get smarter and realize you actually have power over them. You have leverage over them because you could either provide testimony as state witness to their illegal dealings, you know, and get off from... Do- like, you get state witness. You you have done the crime, but you're not paying no time, you know? And they could even give you a new, new identity and everything if it's witness protection enough for that. And, you know, you've already made your money. You get to keep that. You know, those route through a different bank account, but you get to keep that shit. Or also, if you if you went Christian, if you went conservative, which I think he might have even been doing, was flirting with the idea of being born again, being welcomed back into country music circles, into the southern conservative circles, getting away from the satanic shit, getting away from the overt satanic influence of heavy metal music in the 2000s, like the Marilyn Manson shit, and um, standing against that, standing against the idea that of of like you know homosexual. Uh, fruity, uh, you know, subliminal programming that modern rock and roll was getting into with new metal and shit, and they had to kill him. They had to get rid of Dimebag Daryl for them to be able to take over and control rock and roll music in the 2000s and the 2010s, exact. And we wouldn't have the musical scene we have now if Dimebag Daryl was alive, because he would still be like an older godfather figure of mainstream heavy metal success. Those albums premiered at number one. Two albums in a row premiered at number one on a Billboard 200. That fucking means something, and that means the people loved them. And like most people, the people love, he was murdered, and no one really knows why. So that's food for thought, and it's a very interesting thing to, to speak about. It deserves to be spoken about. He is probably the greatest heavy metal guitarist Texas has ever produced. Arguably one of the greatest musicians Texas has ever produced when it comes to influence, um, as well as mainstream success. So in memory of Dimebag Daryl, case is not closed, and we won't give up.
you know, until we know, we know who and we know why. And we're not buying the bullshit. We're not buying the story that they tell us. You know, we're going we're gonna to find that truth. A game is afoot. So thank you each and every one of you out there in dreamland. Namaste and salam alaikum. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. So thank you each and every one of you out there. Listeners new and old for listening to another broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast of most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. Please like, share, share, share. We need you to share. Grassroots support. Show this to as many new people. Get this in front of as many different groups on Facebook, TikTok, Telegram, Discord, etc. Post snippets of these videos, if you can, on your social media sites like on TikTok, etc. Feel free to use that and, and as well as explore all the archives, etc. Hundreds of episodes free. free. All we ask you to do is, is listen. Give as many as listens as possible. That's how you show your support. But if you also choose to financially contribute, check out the Cash App link below in the description box. Thank you each and every one of you who's donated a dollar, ten dollars, fifteen dollars, twenty dollars this month and the months before. Truly appreciate it. You know who you are. Shout out. You guys are the best. Uh, you guys are a core group of consistent supporters and everything like that. But we deeply appreciate you. You guys keep us alive. You keep the lights on and everything. You keep us fed. So um, contribute. You know, definitely if you can, if you can't, don't. But if you can, drop a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars in that cash app donation tip jar a month or every episode if you can. Remember, we're banned from Patreon, but we would love you guys to help us out. Thank you 100%. God bless you and your family. Good night.